Listeners, welcome back to another episode of 94 by 50 Basketball. Pleasure to be with you all. Pleasure to be with you as well, Max. Uh, today we're going to dive into recapping um, the first round series with a specific focus on uh, the Bulls and Bucks, Wolves and Memphis, and then we'll get into all of uh, the second round series. Each game in the second round, or each series in the second round is, is one game in. So we're at a good spot to preview those. And then um, we'll finish up here with a little bit of a, of a trivia treat um, for the listeners. Max, how are you, man? Good to talk to you. Yeah, good to be here. Hello, listeners. Um, we're, you know, solidly into the second round now and uh, had to come back and talk things over and do the recaps. And MK just did a good job breaking down what they're about to hear. So if you want to get into it, let's get into it. Let's do it. So we'll start um, with our, I guess, our home state teams, if you will, the round one series, Bulls and Bucks. Um, just to recap, the Bucks uh, won that series in five games. Story of the series was really who who wasn't playing, in my opinion. So the Bucks lost Chris Middleton, um, but the Bulls arguably had had the bigger losses in uh, Zach Levine testing positive for COVID, Lonzo still being out, Caruso missing time, I believe, due to concussion protocol. Um, so arguably like three of the Bulls top five players, if you count the three of them and then Damar and Vooch. Um, so not, not really a fair representation of how the Bulls were, especially at the beginning of the regular season when they were firing on all cylinders. Um, but Max, like as a, from your perspective as a Bulls fan, how do you reflect on this series and on the season as a whole? And, um, what are you going to keep, be keeping an eye on this off season? Yeah, so, I mean, first off, just nice to have the Bulls back in the playoffs um, as a playoff team. I think there's times during the season where I definitely thought we were going to be a little bit more of a contender than we ended up being. Uh, I never thought we'd make the championship game, but I thought we could get out of the first round and make a good second round series. Um but unfortunately, with injuries down the stretch, uh, we never got enough time to gel. If you saw the lineups in the games, it felt like Billy Donovan, I, I don't want to say his lineups were wrong at all, but he just like, you know, we had so many guards and so many young guards with little experience that it felt like like I didn't know the lineups and I had seen almost every game. I didn't know exactly who was going to play with who, you know. Um, and I think all of that just caught up to them. Uh, I wouldn't say anything was really surprising about the series. Besides, I was hoping and really did think the Bulls would get one at home. Um, I didn't think they'd get blown out like that. Both games at home, that was a bummer. Um, after, I believe, five years since the Bulls had had a playoff home game. But besides that, I mean, this team, you know, the Bucks won the championship last year for a reason and they the height we really have no answer to and the the their defense versus our defense was just so uh much better with Lonzo and Crusoe two of our best defenders out um so we really left their shooters open and they made us pay and um you know not too much to take away from this I think 
this whole thing made sense to me and we'll go into the off season, which I'm excited about. Bulls have a lot of options. Um, but before I really get into that, I guess, was there anything surprising or that, uh, that you enjoyed about this Bucks Bulls or did it kind of just go to chalk? Like I'm kind of seeing it did. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, um, big factors in the series and was Grayson Allen who really, solidified his uh his role as a villain um from the perspective of bulls fans after um his hard foul that ended up in caruso breaking his wrist and he had he had a couple huge games off the bench for milwaukee um he talked about how he really responded to kind of the animosity from the chicago crowd in the road games um and that fueled him um to score 20 plus points off the bench a couple times and so much so that <laughs> that the uh, home Milwaukee crowd booed him. Um, so, and, and with the Bulls' lack of depth through those injuries we mentioned, coupled with the fact that um, the Bucks really had some nice contributions off the bench from him, um, from from Pat Connaughton, um, it, it was it was too much for. Um, for the bulls to handle the, the bucks D that you mentioned really keyed on DeMar, um, seeing him as their main shot creator perimeter score, um, and force other guys to make shots. And Vooch was able to, to an extent, but they just didn't have, you know, Patrick Williams was, um, not in the groove in the way he would have been that had he played the entire season and wasn't coming back from injury. Um, and, and missing Levine for a game, missing Lonzo, missing Caruso. They just didn't have, um, enough shot makers to overcome the Bucks defense and really keep up. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like the best way to put it. We just didn't have enough shot makers against their defense to make it really a series besides the one game where everyone is firing on all cylinders. DeMar had an incredible game, you know, Williams did too. I that that's a big thing too. Uh, Patrick Williams, he's so young. He's very talented, but he's super raw. He still needs to kind of find like that killer mentality. To, like it feels like he doesn't understand how like big he is and how strong he is compared to people, you know. And I think, and then coming off this injury, and then to play as many minutes and as many important minutes as he did, like that just didn't bode well for this team. Um, Kobe White um, got a lot of, I think, hate and probably had a lot of stress through this season, always just being kind of seen as the trade piece. Um, and I I really like Kobe. He can go on a heater. He seems – he really feels like someone who – I won't put him in Jordan Clarkson territory, but I think he'll have a long career as just a real scorer off the bench. And we needed him to come in, and he really just didn't have it. IO is just a little too overmatched, especially against this Bucks team in particular. Um, they, with the length, they really made it hard on him. And Tristan Thompson was our big signing uh, for front court depth, and he just looked pretty lost too. Um, so, it, you know, it, it kind of just the wheels were falling off for the Bulls for the – uh, the end of the regular season and then to come up against the, this this Bucks team, this juggernaut, there's not much you can do. Uh, Giannis playing like, a, you know, best player in the league, in my opinion, 
uh, no hard feelings. Uh, and then just going the off season, I think the big questions are um, how much do you kind of blow this team up? Like you, you know, there's a few names that I think you really have to keep, but there's some big questions. The biggest one being Levine, um, his contract is up. And so it's, what do you do? Uh, and, and I think that's a really hard decision. And uh, because, because of the caliber player he is and the contract that he'll demand, it's hard for me as a Bulls fan after everything. And I understand that he, you know, he was dealing with injury and he was sick, but it's hard for me to say that like the best thing for the Bulls to do is just to, you know, sign him to the super max and go all in on the bean. And I think that's, that's the biggest question in this offseason. Cause I think you keep, you can keep Caruso and Lonzo. You've got IO, Patrick Williams. Hopefully you keep Mar. And then I think you start to think about what to do with Vooch and Levine. Hmm. It would be what I'd be looking at as a, um, if I was the manager, front office right now. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting spot because there is, um, you know, there is sort of a scenario where they see this season as a, as a missed opportunity or what could have been had they not had all the injuries. I mean, they were first in the East for a long time at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, that, that said, if they, if they run it back, even if everyone stays healthy, do they have the roster to, get beyond the second round when you consider how good Milwaukee will continue to be, how good Miami is, um, how good Philly might be. The East is improving overall as a conference. Um, just, just reading some reports regarding Levine's free agency status. So he's, he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, the athletic reported that, you know, the bulls should expect to have to pay him, um, probably higher than, you know, they'd have to give him the best offer out there. He's not going to give them a sort of a hometown or current team discount, if you will. Um, uh, the Associated Press, USA Today, uh, looks like Michael Mulford was the, was the writer, um, had an article that quoted Levine as saying, you know, I care about the Bulls. I'm going into everything open-minded, but knowing how much I've enjoyed my time here. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. It, you know, if, it probably also depends what else is out there in free agency. Who could they get that could be seen as a, you know, one-for-one one replacement of Levine? Or, um, you know, can they sign a couple, a couple players who may not be as good as Levine by themselves, but, um, but would, you know, combined would, would uh, exceed Levine's value as a, as a single player? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's the biggest question. And then for me, it's just like rim protection. Like Vooch offensively is a killer. Um, but defensively, when he's only about 6'10", and he's the, our tallest player on the roster, besides Tony Bradley, I, it's it becomes an issue. And so I think to compete in this NBA, like there is the small ball aspect, but I, I still believe that you, you still need um, – you still need rim protection at a high level. Um, the the thing I'll say to kind of end this, and the last thing I'm hoping pans out, is uh, for years 
Chicago has not been a place where free agents want to go. We've gotten draft picks and we've done trades, but um, Chicago has been kind of a place. Our front uh, office has been horrible. Uh, it's been a place to avoid. But with the changes that we made with Connor Coase coming in, uh, it feels like there's an opportunity, and especially with how, um, you know, kind of cool the swaggers a little bit back in Chicago. We have the highest attendance in home and away games this season. Um, these things are starting to add up to a point where Chicago's a great hoop city. There's so many great hoopers from here that I would like to see um, some some good free agents coming in. And, uh, and I think that's the big question is, can we start to, do we start to see that more as Bulls, as a Bulls fan? So that's what I'm looking for. We'll obviously do a lot more with uh, all the free agency and signing trades and all that um, coming up after the season. For so sure. That's kind of what's on the radar for the Bulls at this point. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's transition to um, the other first-round series we wanted to recap in depth. Um, Wolves-Memphis. Memphis wins in six, closes it, out, closes it out on the road in Minnesota. They won uh, after going down 0-1 and giving up a game at home. Ended up winning four of the last five. A um, lot to talk about with this series specifically the, the fourth quarter leads that the Wolves couldn't keep. Um, but is it, you know, looking at this series in the context of the season as a whole, um, progress for Wolves for you or, or a disappointment? Yeah, I, I think it was definitely progress for Wolves. Um, it was, a, you know, I, it was kind of disappointing how it ended because I think the Wolves had, uh, I mean, with the massive leads they had and they lost and to lose at home. Like there's, this series was frustrating and I understand why Wolves fans might have a bit of a sour kind of taste in their mouth. But I mean, I, I didn't predict the Wolves beating Memphis. I think you were a little kinder to them, but I think most people would look at this and say Memphis was going to win. Um, Wolves made the playoffs and they made it, you know, they got the seventh seed, which I was, very happy with like winning that first um playing game was big to get two games in this series is big and you know they're they're such a young team overall um they're only going to be better anthony edwards in my opinion is a real real superstar uh he will only get better um and and i think well before I get in it, well, I'll just say, like, I think there are some big questions going the offseason again. Of like, what do you do with this team? Do you just completely run it back? Um, but I, for me, I would definitely say this was progress for the Wolves. You got playoff experience, um, and that is so important because you could see where, obviously, Memphis has a uh, lack of uh, playoff experience as well, but I see Memphis as like one of the best whole team units that I've probably ever seen in the NBA. They're all like so invested and they're so deep. And I think you just saw some real lack of uh, experience on the Wolves team. And, and I think that 
the only way to get that experience is to play in the playoffs and they got that and they didn't shy away from the limelight and that that really excites me going forward. I agree. I agree. I think the season as a whole is uh, the reg. I mean, the regular season specifically getting that seven seed, winning the play in game against the Clippers who we talked about were under seeded um, with, with Paul George back um, was a huge step in the right direction. They got a new coach in. I think they had a culture change this year um, and really generated a, this collective winning mentality, winning environment that I think Patrick Beverly helped spark a lot, um, having made the playoffs every year in his career and having those experience of deep playoff runs with the Rockets and Clippers before. Um, the, the playoff series was tough. Um, I think some of it was probably not knowing how to handle having the lead and being um, sort of the hunted versus the hunter um, in this series and letting Memphis back into it. I think a lot of times the Wolves would um, settle for shots and not control the game. And I think that's going to come with, you know, changing that is going to come with experience, um, both for the players and for the coach himself as a, as a first time head coach, I believe. And they'll, you know, they'll learn from this and, and be better next year. I do think more veteran experience would be helpful. Um, besides Patrick Beverly, they're, they're a super young team. Like Ant is only 20. Um, Cat is still maybe only 25. Guys like Vanderbilt and McDaniels are young. Um, so I, I think they need some more veterans on their roster. Um, like, look how big of a difference bringing in Drew Holiday and PJ Tucker made for the Bucks. Guys, guys like that who don't need to be necessarily the go-to scorers because you have that and um, and Ant and Cat, but but guys who know how to win in the playoffs in these in these tough situations. Um, and as far as like personnel-wise or skill set-wise, what they're missing. Um, to me, some, some more shooters would be helpful. Like Cat Ant's game is slashing to the rim. Um, Cat's game, we know he's a great three-point shooter, but his he wants to be able to go inside too. And so they need they need shooters, they need floor spacers, guys who can hit kick out corner threes um, in the way that like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero can for the Heat that have made them so successful. Um, so that's for me how the, the Wolves can kind of build on um, the success and improve next year. Yeah, I think something you touched on that's really is like what I think is important about this year is like not, not, they were like fun to watch, but they also had just like the mindset of like we are we are good, we're going to get better. Um, they it feels kind of like the culture was set finally for the Wolves. You know, like the core is there and it, it does feel like that where like if a free agent comes to this team, they like become part of the team. It's not like a new team, you know? Yeah. No yeah. Not like not they, like Jimmy coming in and exactly. Yeah. It's not like who, you know, it's it's like very much like this is a set team and who else can they get to add to their uh weapon, you know? Um I will say, I'll be honest, I think that 
I think you're right with just like uh, some spot up shooters would be massive. But um, if I'm a Wolves fan, I'm starting to think about what I can get for Carl Anthony Towns. Ooh, okay. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's time completely yet. And I like Carl, I like Cat as a player, but I think that just like, I don't know when I when I look at the, like D'Lo and Ant and how incredible they are at slashing, I just think it would behoove them so much to have maybe a big who was a little less skilled, you know, but one who could just go and grab rebounds and grab alley oops, um, and just be a threat when they slash to the lane to be able to go up and just throw it down. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's quite time to jump ship from cat but I, i'm starting to think about it a little bit more if i'm a wolves fan i i really am yeah that i mean that makes sense to an extent i think and you you kind of made this point earlier with the bulls like the formula in the nba um has been for winning has been in recent years has been a big man that can protect the rim that can catch lobs um, that can switch on the pick and roll. Um, and that's like, that's not what, what Kat or Vucevic are. The only real big men who are the leading scorers, the go-to guys on their team um, in the NBA that I can think of are Kat, um, Embiid, and Jokic. And obviously Embiid and Jokic are incredible, both MVP candidates, but the Celtics and Nuggets haven't found or excuse me, the Sixers and Nuggets haven't found that postseason success yet. Um, not saying that, you know, they should get rid of rid of Embiid and Jokic, but just generally that the the big man who's been the go-to on offense hasn't been the the winning formula yet. So you're right. It's it might be worth exploring what they can get for Cat. I don't think normally his value is going to be any higher than it is now. Exactly. And normally it's a guard game. And then I think something that's also so important, and you can look to the Jimmy Butler when he came here scenario. It is important to know who is your number one guy and who's your number two guy and who's your number three guy. I really believe that, you know, everyone has their roles. It's, and, and I think that's such an issue. When you, like when Jimmy came in, he was clearly the number one guy, but Minnesota didn't act like he was, you know. To me, I think this year, Cat was the number one guy for sure. But next year going in the season, do I think Pat is the guy I'd go to over Anthony Edwards? To be honest, no. And I think that becomes I think that becomes more of an issue as you go on. I don't think it's a massive one. I'm not saying Pat or any other just like an attitude thing, but I just think it's like to me, I'm looking at if I'm in the organization, I'm looking at Anthony Edwards as our bona fide superstar who is the future of our team. And I think it's important for him to be the number one guy and to build around him specifically. And I think there are other big men that would be a drop off in talent level to cap for sure, but that you could, that would work extremely well with the, the very, very young talent they've got. But I'm interested to see what happens either way. I'm as a Wolves fan, I was, I was very happy with this year and the effort level shown and just getting, Back in the playoffs, Target Center was popping. Um, just a really fun year for the Wolves. Uh, a really fun team, um, and a lot of a bright future, I believe. 
Agreed. Yeah. I mean, when you, when it comes down to it compared to preseason expectations, when they were um, projected to be under 500, a huge success. Um, awesome for that fan base. Um, I think since the KG era, they had only won one playoff game, um, which was, I think, when they lost to the Rockets 4-1 a couple of years ago as the eight seed. So just winning three this postseason and bringing some belief back to this franchise is, was crucial. Um, and they just got to use this momentum and build on it and uh, maybe bring a couple new faces in to upgrade that roster and learn from this postseason experience. Listeners, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back to start previewing the second round. All right, welcome back, guys. Um, So nice little round one recap. Um, Let's get into those second round series. We just talked about the, uh, the Grizzlies and Wolves. Let's segue to uh, the Grizzlies and Golden State. Um, Golden State won game one by a point, 117-116 at the FedEx Forum in Memphis. Um, Your thoughts, Max, on that game, um, what we saw, whether uh, the Grizzlies are in trouble or they can rebound. Yeah, I mean, I think – I got to watch some of that game, and I, I think that it's going to be a series. Um, I, I, I mean, this Warriors team is very good, um, and to win like that when the, with foul trouble, um, their stars were off for, I mean, most of the game. They hit the, the game winner, but, he, I mean, he was missing shots. Steph Curry had a bunch of shots that he missed. Draymond Green getting ejected. Um, So the Warriors look tough, but at the same time, this was one of the first times where I felt like the Grizzlies were a little bit actually, like, shook. You could kind of see as, like, the Grizzlies would grind and grind and get basket after basket, and they kept feeling like, oh, we've done it, we've won, you know, and then Jordan Poole would just hit, like, back-to-back threes, and suddenly they'd be down again by two. And I, and I think that's what's so good about this Warriors team. But I, I'm i not ready to kind of write this series off quite yet because um, I think the Grizzlies will take a lot from this game. And really, I think the big thing is they need to push inside. They allowed the Warriors to get so many offensive rebounds, which just cannot happen. And they didn't get as many offensive rebounds themselves. Uh, I look at this series, uh, I think the Warriors are going to take it, but I don't think it's going to be to like six or seven games, honestly, because the the depth on this uh, um, Grizzlies team is something to keep an eye on with these Warriors. They can send player after player after player after Steph and Clay and Poole and really start to get physical with them. So, um. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for this series. Uh, I'll be just frank. There's a couple <laughs> series that I'm not really super interested in this round. Mm. So I'm interested in like of what happens, but I'll be honest, like the Mavs Suns games don't really excite me that much. The heat Sixers don't really excite me that much. Yeah. They just, I'll just be honest. They just don't, but this Memphis golden state series, I, 
I'm is one of the coolest. I think going to be one of the best series in a while. So I'm really, really excited to see how this one plays out. Yeah, agree. Uh, there were I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was Steph, but he's like he drew a parallel between his Warriors from the beginning of their dynasty to where the Grizzlies are now with superstar point guard and building around it in this this young core. Um, the Grizzlies, are, I think, are going to have to take a different approach to win this series. Um, it, against the Wolves, you know, Jaws' scoring average went down like seven points. He only averaged about 20 a game. He didn't shoot particularly well. Um, Jaron Jackson didn't do a ton on offense because, um, because he was guarding Cat. But in this series, um, he has – the Warriors play small ball, like Kayvon Looney, their center isn't going to play much. Um, and so he has a huge size advantage. And we saw that in game one, 33 points, 10 rebounds. Ja had 34 and 10. The problem for the Grizzlies in, in this game was that um, the other guys didn't do a ton. Dylan Brooks only had eight, shot 23% from the field. Desmond Bain had nine, shot 30% from the field. To me, the Warriors have the firepower that, that the Wolves don't have. And so if, if the Grizzlies offense doesn't click, I, I actually think they're in a lot of trouble because the Warriors have multiple guys who can guard Ja, Gary Payton, Clay, Draymond can switch onto him, um, Jordan Poole, Wiggins. Um, they can throw a lot of guys at him. Um, and I think they'll probably force him to pass the ball up more than more than they did in game one. So I'm, I see this as, especially if Memphis goes down 0-2, I see this as a potential four or five game series only. I mean, yeah, I, I think there is the fear in that. I, I mean, going down 0-2, yeah. I, but I think if they can, this, this next game to me really dictates this series. If yeah. they get this next one, I think they kind of settle down. I think they've got what it takes to, you know, go into uh, Golden State and get a win. But it is rocky, and it, it really is – if Memphis tries to shoot with the Warriors, they're going to lose. Yeah. So it Memphis has to really just understand that the more they can make the Warriors play their type of basketball, the better shot they have. And to – Again, I would just really rely on that depth and just throw as much at these Warriors as possible. Yeah. Um, and we saw in game one, like, I think Draymond's ejection could have also been, like, Draymond's great, but that could have been addition by subtraction. And that, like, him getting tossed really galvanized the Warriors and fired them up. Um, I think Memphis is just going to have to come out probably with more intensity, physicality. They're the bigger team. They'll need to grind inside a little bit, um, make the game physical rather than get it and getting more of a finesse track meet with the Warriors. Exactly. I think I, I'm really looking for Jan Jackson Jr., uh, Tillman, and uh, Clark to all just really like go down. Because Jan Jackson Jr., he's got a three-pointer, and it was hitting this last game. But I felt like he got a little too comfortable out there when he, he's a player who 
they can't stop him down low. His hook yep. shot is so nice. He's got such great touch and strength around there. Uh, and Clark's just getting board after board after board. Tillman's good down low. I just think just keep pressing down low. Put an elbow into Poole, you know? Poole is not a large person. These Warriors players are coming off injury. Be physical. Muck it up. Take a foul or two just to send a message, you know? Nothing dirty, but just really, they are the bigger, stronger team. And it doesn't always feel that way because I know they're looking at the Warriors as this team they've watched go, you know, as a dynasty. But the second they can realize that, you know, physicality-wise, they have the advantage, I think that's, that's their golden ticket, and we'll see what happens. And something I did just want to shout out real quick uh, as a Big Ten fan is it is crazy seeing uh, three of the four front court starters last game were Michigan State players. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's pretty wild. It is. Yeah, Draymond, Tillman, and Jaron Jackson. Yeah. Um, plus, we got Jordan Poole from Michigan, uh, yeah. who's, a, who's a, from Milwaukee originally, continuing to, to do his thing off the bench. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's talk Bucks and Celtics. So, um, Bucks won Game One. Um, I was reading reading ESPN projections of who's going to win each series of all their NBA writers. Um, the Bucks series, I think, was like, or this series was was fourteen to six in favor of the Celtics in terms of who they thought was going to win. My guess is after game one, those projections would have changed a little bit. Um, Giannis just put the Bucks on his shoulders, carried them, realized he was bigger, stronger, more athletic than anyone the Celtics have, and, and really just did a lot of bully ball inside, kind of going back to his bread and butter in terms of physicality, athleticism, dominating near the rim, and not um, settling for too many outside shots. Yeah, I mean, I, it was an incredible game, incredible to go into Boston where they are, I mean, they are the hottest team in basketball. Um, just swept the net to go into Boston and play the way they did to have the iconic off the backboard dunk. you got to love it. I think something that's like being surrounded by Bucks fans, I get kind of annoyed, you know, because they're, they're very mouthy. Um, they're not gracious winners. And they've been bad for so long, but they, you know, anyway, I'm excited for the team. Don't take that personally, Bucks fans. Uh, well, maybe to yeah. maybe think on it a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, but I will say that I think nationally the Bucks do not get the respect that they should. I don't think Giannis gets the respect that he should either. I think Giannis is the best player in the game right now. I felt that way since, and I'll be honest, just since he won the championship last year with the 50. And it's hard for me to say anyone in this league is better. And to bet, to, it was kind of like for so long, I would never go against LeBron. Like, I don't care. LeBron's going to win. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel about uh, Giannis right now. That he is so tough to stop and he has evolved into such a good distributor and passer and so it's just so tough for him when when the shooters are hitting which so far the bucks are just blistering from three but they're getting wide open looks you know 
Yeah. So I before this series, I was a little, you know, I, I thought the Bucks were gonna win, but I thought the Celtics would have more of a chance. Um, I not to say that they'll get swept. I don't think that'll happen, but I just don't think the Celtics have any answer down low for what uh, you know, for Giannis. And the good thing about the Bucks is yes, they're up against this incredibly talented Boston team when it comes to Tatum and Brown and Smart and everything. But the Bucks are so good defensively that I, I just think that the Bucks defense uh, matches up better against the Celtics offense than the Celtics offense defense matches up against the Bucks offense. And that's the difference for me. If you can't stop Giannis without crashing completely down and leaving shooters open, you're going to have a really bad time. Yeah, well said. I think you're right. The Bucks were under the radar this season. The stories of the season were a couple. Um, one was the soap opera that was everything going on with the Nets and with Philly and Kyrie being only able to play halftime, whether there would be a Simmons-Harden trade. That captured a lot of the news. It was the Lakers struggling, and then it was – uh, the Suns being kind of the runaway best team in the NBA and the Bucks were the three seed in the East um, without much drama. They just did their thing again. Um, I do want to shout out Drew Holiday. Like he's, I mean, he doesn't get the notoriety Giannis does. He's not a flashy guy. Doesn't ask for or get a lot of media attention, but incredible defender picked up the scoring load in game one with uh with Middleton out had let's see 25 points um nine rebounds five assists and was voted I think the best teammate in the league by his peers um so like you you can't discount the impact the positive impact and um the amount of winning plays he makes um and yeah yeah he, no, he's been fantastic, and he's hit very timely shots too, yep. which has been really cool to see. And defensively, always guarding the best player. Um, another shout-out is Bobby Portis. I mean, so we already shouted Grayson Allen and uh, Connaughton, which I've been impressed. Like, Connaughton has always kind of hot or cold for me, but he's been playing super well. Grayson Allen, kind of that steel mind, just go out there and hoop, and you got to love to watch that. And then uh, Bobby Portis making effort plays, his three – Pointer looks great right now, getting so many offensive boards. Uh, but Drew Holiday is definitely feels still like the kind of um, captain of the ship in a way, for sure. Where he can slow everything down, and and you know the Bucks do miss Chris Middleton, and I think they need him back for the full finals run. And another player is George Hill. I'm not exactly sure his timeline, but that's another just veteran presence who can go get you a basket. Is good on defense. And, you know, is not going to be shook by the moment. That would be mm -hmm. a great player to have back. But um, this Bucks team is just firing on all, all cylinders. And I I, I got to give credit to just one, the Bucks, but also to Budenholzer. He was on the hot seat last year. Yeah. There was a lot of talk of, you know, and he has – he won them, you know, they won last year, and he's come back and – this team looks better than last year's team, which is great. So it's, I don't know. It's been very impressive. And as of now, I'm, I'm all in on the bus. I, I think 
they're looking real scary. Yeah, the, the last thing I'll say on, on the Bucks, then we can uh, talk about those other series real quick is, um, you're right, like they're, they're able to afford playing big right now because Boston plays big with starting Al Horford and Robert Williams. Like the Bucks started Bobby Portis, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. Uh, <laughs> they all played at least 28 minutes. Serge Ibaka didn't play at all, um, but that's a huge lineup. And but if they if they get um, if they advance and maybe play the Heat, um, they're a relatively small team. Like they they basically play one in in Bam and four guys on the outside. Um, the Warriors are obviously a small team. The Suns have DeAndre Ayton, but then basically perimeter players. So this this lineup formula might work here. Um, but Middleton coming back as well as another ball handler and George Hill would be, would be huge in the next few rounds. Yeah, I, I agree. And actually last thing, I just did want to like, no, this Celtics team is very good. Yeah. Like it's to, to realize like it really didn't say much about them. They're, like there's not a ton to say because it's been the same four and they've just kind of steadily gotten better and better and better. Um, I think it's a bummer for the Celtics just because matchup-wise, you know, this is such a tough one. Whereas I think if they were against the Sixers or the Heat, I think they'd have a much better chance. Mm -hmm. But I think um, it'll be interesting to see how the series goes. And then I think there's going to be a lot of questions in Boston this offseason about what to do with this core and this team that at this point has been going at it for about five or six years as a that's going to be a really – that's one of the big off-season teams that I'll be watching very closely. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, okay, let's let's talk about the, the series that uh, you're not as excited about, about real quick. Um, so we got, we got Mavs-Suns. Um, Suns won game one. To me, they just have too much for, for the Mavs. Jalen Brunson was awesome against the jazz when Luca was out. Um, but the Mavs don't, don't have enough scoring. They, they have one superstar all-star and then there's a big drop off to their next guys. Like they, they have a winning formula and guys know their role, but to me, they can't keep up with Phoenix. Yeah. I think I, like we're a little split on this. I think, I think the Mavs get one or two. I, I mean, okay. Luca has been great. He was very selfish, I thought, in game one. I didn't think there was nearly enough ball movement, which, uh, you know, is what got them there. Like, his slashing ability is what opens up his then his step backs and then also shots for everyone else. Um, Brunson's really going to need to play like he did in the first round. And then Dinwiddie's really going to have to have a big series, too. And the three-point shooters are going to have to hit. Um, but defensively, I think they can they can be better than they were. And I think also Dallas is going to be a really tough place to play. So I, I'm, I don't think the series is over yet. I, I just to me, I, I think the reason why I'm just like not super into it is because it's just kind of like neither of these teams are my favorite to like watch, honestly. Mm -hmm. And they've been the same teams for a bit. It just feels like there'll be good games. And it's not to say that I don't care at all, but that's all I meant. It was just like these, I, it feels like I know what I'm going to get from these two teams in this series, but we'll see what uh, happens. And, but I think you're dead on. I don't think there's too much to say besides like 
can the Mavs play good enough defense to keep the Phoenix Suns from scoring as much as they normally do? And can the Mavs score to keep up? I don't think there's too much else to this series. For sure. For sure. Um, Yeah, I think you're right on with with Dinwiddie, too, and that point you made. Uh, Porzingis was their second leading scorer. Obviously, he has his flaws as a player. He's on a big contract, is injury prone, but that's who they, Dinwiddie is who they got in return for him. Um, and he needs to, to fill that scoring void for them to have a chance at success. Only eight points uh, last night at game one. Yeah, he, he needs to be that guy. He needs to be that yeah. Yes. Then the last series, um, which has a lot up in the air due to current injuries, is Heat Sixers. Um, Our friend Sully just texted he likes the Heat to sweep. A lot of that probably depends on Joel Embiid's injury status. Um, Broken bone in his face may return game three. Um, If he does return and is healthy, I think the Sixers have a shot. But if if he doesn't or isn't the same player, um, I agree. I, I like the Heat to, to roll fairly easily. That's how I feel, too. And I think something that's, like, very nice about this is, like, uh, or, like, validating as, like, a fan is, like, this to me is an example of a team versus, like, a big three kind of thing, situation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's same with, like, the Nets. Like, this, the Nets had, like, very good talent. But then as a team, you know, when your seventh and eighth guys aren't that good, like you can't have that in this NBA. The depth in this league is so crazy. The amount of talent in this league right now is insanity. So it matters in the playoffs who your seventh, eighth, and ninth guys are. It just does. And when I look at the Sixers team, sure, Embiid's incredible. Harden's incredible. Tyrese Maxey's good. Tobias Harris is good. But then when you start getting past that, into the players that they need in a playoff game to play 10 minutes. And those 10 minutes are important because that can switch the entire game. I think that's where these it's very short sighted to where they put these teams together, where it's so top heavy. Whereas you look at the heat and obviously they have, you know, that again, that they've got Adebayo and Butler, these very good players, but you can rattle off so many names of players who are going to come in, and even the players like Max Struess or uh, the Martin brother or Vincent, like players who aren't as good, they know exactly what their role is. And they come in for like four or five minutes off the bench and they come in and they disrupt and they get rebounds and they get steals and they make an open three. And to me, Miami right now is just such a team and a deep team. And it feels like they got some steals like with, to get Lowry to get Oladipo, who's playing at a very high level now, to have Hero and Duncan, and they just have so many weapons that they're just so deep that I I, I don't know. I, I just don't think that Philadelphia, even with a healthy Embiid, would be able to keep up in this one at this point. But without Embiid, it's just it could be ugly. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. Like, Duncan Robinson and Lowry didn't even play in game one. Uh, yeah. And I mean, granted, Embiid was out, but the Heat ran away with it. Like, okay, we know Jimmy, we know PJ Tucker, we know Bam. Those are three of the five starters. But then it's like, 
the other two, Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. <laughs> Who? <laughs> you know, um, Max Struess is an undrafted player, 26 years old, but it's only his second year in the league. Um, played 32 minutes, had a plus 27, plus minus, um, and like did the job. Knows Spolster's system um, and is fully capable of playing big minutes in a big game and is kind of empowered by this heat culture where it's just next man up. That's what I think is so important. It's like the, these cultures are so sometimes looked over. Like you look at the Nets culture and it was like, what is the Nets culture? What is this Philadelphia 76ers culture, you know? And so it's like, you can have these good players, but these good players need to come into a good situation in a stable place they can't just come in it can't just come in and be oh it's Joel Embiid's and Harden's team whatever happens happens you know like these heat players they're all so talented during all of them but they're playing for the Miami Heat and that's yeah. what they're playing for and to me it's just such a stark contrast and difference and that's why I think you, you can see you know Vincent and Shoes come in and make way more of an impact and you're going to see guys like Corkman or even like veterans like Danny Green make, you yeah. know, because it's more like hired guns as opposed to like, no, this is the team that believed in me and that I've worked with and that I'm, you know, sweating and bleeding for. For sure. You know, I think that's well said. And that's that's a good place to uh, to cap these these second round previews. Um, listeners, let's take a, a quick break here and then we'll get in some to some trivia to close it out. Sorry about that, listeners. Got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Um, we will get into trivia shortly. Really quick, though, um, wanted to do some updated finals picks now that we're down to eight teams left. Um, Max, who you got? Uh, I'm going to stick with my first pick. Uh, I forget who I had in the West. I think it was either the Suns or the Warriors. At this point, I'm going to go with the Warriors. Uh, in the East, I had the Bucks, and I'm sticking with the Bucks. And like I said earlier in this podcast, I, I can't bet against Giannis right now. So I'm going with Bucks. Yeah, I think that's that's totally reasonable. Um, I I don't remember who I had earlier either. It was either Suns or Warriors. I'm gonna go Warriors now. I like the Heat too. Um, I think a lot depends on Middleton's injury, but regardless of that, if I had to pick uh, a team now, I'm going to go Miami and uh, Golden State with Golden State to win the title. All right, listeners, you heard it here first. But yeah, let's get into uh, trivia. We've each got three questions for each other and with, I think, coffee on the line. Yes. All righty. So the first question I have for you is a, is a mystery player identity. Um, so Max, who am I? I'm known as one of the greatest pure shooters of all time. I began my career in Milwaukee before moving to a franchise that no longer exists. I then moved to Boston and won a title. Ray Allen, baby. Bingo. Yep. All right. You uh yeah, you got it before you uh 
before I even finished the question. The last part was it's going to be, uh, yeah, he finished his career as a teammate of LeBron, of course, in Miami, uh, making that huge shot in the finals against the Spurs. Um, so my second question, my second two questions are playoff themed, specifically having to do with the NBA Finals MVP award, um, the Bill Russell Award. So the NBA Finals MVP has been awarded 53 times uh, starting in 1969, but only four foreign players have won the award. So players that would represent a country in the Olympics besides the U.S. Uh, can you name two of the four? Yeah. These are a little easy, Matthew. Be tough uh, for next time. Jokic and Giannis. Um, no, no, no. Finals MVP. Finals MVP. Oh, You're thinking regular, regular sorry, season sorry, sorry, MVP. Sorry, sorry. Okay, four finals MVPs. Yeah, That is tougher. Okay. Um, I'm still going Giannis. That's one. Yep. Um, Tony Parker. Good. Very good. That's the one I thought you weren't going to get. Yeah. Uh, the other two are Dirk uh, against Dirk, the Heat course. for the yeah. Mavs. Yep. And then Hakeem Olajuwon won it in back-to-back -back years in the 90s. Okay. I was kind of on the scent there. I was honestly, I forgot if it was Tony or if it was Manu Ginobili. Ooh, okay. Yep. Yeah, Tony. So yeah, you got it. Yep, two out of two so far. Okay, my okay. last, my last question, uh, also NBA Finals MVP related. So only three players have won the award playing for more than one team. So at least two teams. Uh, can you name two of the three? So they won Finals MVP for two different teams. Correct. LeBron for one of them. Yep. And then oh give me a second here. This is a good one. Um Kawhi. Right, yep. So yeah, LeBron won with uh the Heat, Cavs, and Lakers, uh, and then Kawhi. Yeah, won it with San Antonio in 2014 and Toronto in 2019. The third, and I thought this was pretty cool, uh, Kareem won it 15 or 14 years apart. He won it in wow. 1971 with the Bucks uh, when he went as Luel Cinder uh, and then won it uh, 14 years later with the Lakers in 1985. Wow. That's actually very impressive. Just like me going three for three, right, listener? <laughs> All right. So the pressure's on me now. Let's hear them. I think so. There might be a little bit disparity in the strength of these uh, questions. But okay. I had to give you some good ones, you know? So starting with the Badgers. Okay. In I'll give you three guesses. Can you name one of the top three career leaders in rebounds? For the Badgers, not per game, but in total rebounds. Okay, three guesses, and I have three guesses to get one guy. One of the top three, yes. Okay, um, just because he played a lot, like he started as a red redshirt freshman, I'm gonna go half. 
Bang, bang. That's number one. All right. All right. Good job. Because the others are Claude Gregory and Joe Franklin. Right. Yeah. I cannot yeah, I tell you when they played. Well, yeah. It was half. Yeah. So, okay. Well done. Thank you. Uh, and he is number one. So you got the number one. All right. Now, who is – this is now going to your pro team, the Knicks. Who okay. is the career leader in games played for the New York Knicks? Is it A, Patrick Ewing? B, Frazier, B, or C, Bill Bradley, or D, Charles Oakley? Patrick Ewing, Clyde Frazier, Bill Bradley, Charles Oakley. Um, just trying to think. I don't know if Clyde Frazier played more than like 10 or 12 years. I'm going to go with Ewing. And you'd be right. Okay, two for two. This is a tough one now. So that now we're going to go overall NBA. Okay. So um, which team, and I'll just do A, B, C, D again. Cool. Which team with a minimum of 3,000 games played, which team has the best overall win percentage in the NBA? Is it the Celtics? the Lakers, the San Antonio Spurs, or the Utah Jazz? All right. Um, that's overall win percentage. That's overall win percentage. Celtics, Lakers, Spurs, or Jazz? For all the coffee. All the coffee. So let me just think about these teams. So, I mean, the, the Spurs have been – really good until recent years jazz obviously never amazing but they've also been super consistent in terms of having malone and stockton and then darren williams and boozer and then now gobert and mitchell like they don't have many down years celtics had some rough years when they just had paul pierce before they got kg and ray allen uh and then let's see lakers are always good. The only time they struggled was after Shaq left and before they got Pau Gasol when it was just Kobe. Um, no, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Spurs just because of the longevity of success that Pop had with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manu. Wow, three for three, man! Hey, let's go! Well done. Uh, an interesting stat, a team named the Chicago Stags is the leader in win percentage, but they only played about like 300 games. Okay. Who was, but, who was yeah. second, do you know? Well, Spurs were second, and then I think it was Celtics or Lakers. I'll look it up. Okay. But well done. Thank you, sir. So it's a, it's a push on the coffee, I guess. Well, yeah. Well, that's fair. Go next time. Hey, 100% is a good thing. Um, yeah. yeah, so by team it goes the Chicago Stags with 237 games played. Um, then the Spurs, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Washington Capitals, the Anderson okay. Packers, okay. the Jazz, and then the Suns, which is very interesting. Interesting, yeah. 
So yeah, the I guess Knicks that... are pretty low. <laughs> not surprising. All the right. lowest is the Kings. Also not surprising. Followed by the Pelicans, the Cavs, the Magic. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else from you before we sign off for the day? Any um, any parting comments for the these Bucks fans that you talked a little trash about earlier? Or you want to just, just just let be, that those comments sit with them and just make sure they're you know nicer about it next time. Not even that. Just worry about your team. Talk trash about your team being good, not about you know. Don't worry about other teams. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy it's a you've got a generational player. Enjoy it. Um, but the NBA have fun and then, um, get ready for some, probably a little college talk next time too, with all the transfer portal madness kind of coming to a close in the next few weeks. So. Yeah. Yep. Some yeah. big, some big news, I'm sure on where these, these final, uh, uncommitted players in the transfer portal will go. Yeah. Not much of an off season. It doesn't feel like right now. So nope. we'll, nope. we'll do that. But, um, yeah, another great, uh, pod. Listeners, see you next time. Matthew, see you next time. See you next time. Take it easy, y'all.